taking the discussion from 0 to 100 in seconds. Radio 111 presents Southern California's talk about cars and trucks. It's all revved up with Todd Bianco. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is another lovely day here in the Valley, and uh, I always start with news, and there's lots of news again this week, and we'll start with the big blockbuster deal with uh, rental car giant Hertz that announced that it will uh, buy uh, 100,000 Tesla uh, Model 3s add, to add to its fleet in North America and Europe by the end of 2022. They've already taken some deliveries. Here's what I didn't realize or understand about that until a day later after that deal was announced, Todd, was that then it was announced that half of the number of them that they were purchasing were going to go into a fleet of vehicles that would be rented by Hertz to Uber. Uber. Right. And they said that it would be approximately $330 plus taxes and fees per week for that rental. Right. And I'm like... How does that even make sense to the Uber driver? Well, okay. I mean, I was going to cover that, but but apparently what the Uber drivers... Well, first of all, it's only in a few uh, cities, but right now... Um, yeah, but that's like $1,320 before tax. That's probably like every dime that an Uber driver makes. Right, but there's no maintenance or insurance there or anything. I mean, no, no tires, no nothing. It's, it's, you know, you it's all inclusive. And it's... Uh, not uh, it's it's rented as uber premium it's not rented as a regular uber uh. so they get a higher rate and uh and uh, uh uber has said that they were going to bring it down to 2.99 a month i mean a, a week for the rental and that they actually see it as being a good thing and they think that they'll get lots of takers for it but couldn't you buy one for a lot less than that even if you're financing it well, yeah, but most most Uber drivers can't afford to buy something like that. I mean, it's a fifty thousand dollar purchase, right? Basically, right. I mean, the, you know, uh, they're paying. You know, Hertz is paying full retail for these cars. They're not getting a discount, zero. Well, that's a mistake. I no. mean, they're buying it as a fleet. Yes, and Tesla said we won't sell it to you for a discount, and they said that's fine. Hmm. So they are buying a hundred thousand dollars. That's about four point two billion dollars of revenue to Tesla. I mean, you know, 100,000 units, and it goes directly to the, you know. No, I get that. I I think that that's a good thing, but then I'm starting to sit down and do the math, and I'm like, but somebody would be putting themselves possibly into a much deeper financial hole than what they're gaining from it, so. I think they must have... They must have priced this out to see what they were going to get. I mean, these are... Would people driving those cars for um, Uber, for instance, would they get... uh, because of the fact that they're paying this uh, hefty price tag, right? Um, would they, and they also don't get to own the car, so it's no. a rental. No. So um, considering that, would they get, I wonder if they would get a priority in terms of uh, being given the calls for, you know, for people requesting rides. For Uber Premium. Yeah. They might. I mean, I think you'll be able. I don't. I haven't seen it yet, but the app will probably allow you to ask for it. You know, so it's yeah. the, it's the greener alternative or whatever. But you're paying premium prices uh, for for it. So they must have priced it out. And if somebody drives, I don't know how many hours, uh, you know, each day, it it must work out, or they wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So, but again, I don't think they have to pay for any maintenance. No insurance insurances included. 
and I think the supercharging is included. So you don't pay for the electricity, you don't pay for anything but the car. The car, which is different. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's a and different. Do you get to use the car for your own personal purposes when it's not in use for the uh, ride sharing? Of course. I mean, you're, it's, it's not like you have to give it back after eight hours. No. I mean, you know, you keep it for the day. No, I understand yeah. that. But I mean, yeah. if most people are going to do it uh, in order to afford it, they're going to end up probably renting them by the month, not by the week or by the day. Right. Well, I mean, but that could just be a normal lease payment. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tesla has a weird lease structure, though. They're the only company that I know of that has a closed end lease. And what that means is, is that at the end of the lease, the car goes to Tesla. <laughs> it doesn't you can't sell it you can't buy it out no wow tesla might allow you to buy it out but it goes back to tesla because they would like they, they refurbish them i mean they you know and and sell them for a nice amount of money mm-hmm. you know they're right now the model three is getting nearly retail. I mean, like a three-year-old Model 3, like what I have, is almost what I paid for it. I mean, you know, I could sell it for, you know, $50,000 for $45,000 or something like that. You know, it was a $55,000 car or something. So I think that that, you know, it's got a very high resale value right now. And the reason of that is, is that there's an extremely high demand for Tesla vehicles. If you go to the Tesla website and construct, you know, you, the, the, where you configure the car and it will tell you estimated delivery time. Right now, I think Model Y is out into the middle of next year. Hmm. Uh, Model 3 is uh, like March, April. Uh, and, you know, Model S and Model X also, they're, you know, they're... Is that the same for um, previously owned no th- those are for sale right now but they're not cheap i mean you yeah. know you can buy th- tesla has a, an inventory when, when of they go back cars. into that tesla inventory then uh do they do anything to you know clean up upgrade oh, sure. the battery no i don't think they do i mean they, they might refurbish something if they see something that needs refurbishing but you know they're saying that the battery should be you know have at least a 90 percent retention after a few years so yeah. it's not like it's degraded that far that they need they could replace it but it's not degraded that far okay uh, so it, it's just it's a straight it's yeah, a straight I saw the story and i was just really curious about that right what made that such a good deal beyond uh, for well, tesla where it's a it, great deal right and hertz has an option for fifty thousand more and they're probably going to exercise it hmm. uh and by the way do you know who's the ceo the interim ceo of hertz the guy's name is mark fields mark fields used to be the ceo of ford oh. <laughs> hmm. and they chose tesla i think primarily uh because of the ease of charging you know, because they have this gigantic charging ne- network, network across yeah. across the country, and that tourists in areas, you know, they're they're looking at you know the, the the big major cities. There's lots of charging places for them. In addition, there's lots of of what they call destination chargers at the hotels. Yeah, if I recall right, um, one of the couple or few cities that was going to be in that program is Los Angeles. It is. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco, Which Miami. Which makes sense. I think right now the daily rental rate that I think you can get it in Miami right now for a Model 3 is $130 a day. Hmm. So. So that's only a little bit more than the daily rental rate for a subcompact in Seattle from the airport. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I've, I've seen those. I mean, they're, it's you know, crazy they're, right they're asking now. 100 bucks for a crap box. Yeah. Yeah. So... 
Yeah, I don't know where the yeah, but there there is a shortage of rental car, you know, rental vehicles right now, and you know, Hertz is fresh out of bankruptcy, so they dumped a lot of their cars, and they you know dumped all you know most of their debt, so they're you know they're out there, but it's it, this this purchase represents nearly twenty percent of their global fleet, and mm. that's a lot. Yeah, I mean for anybody, and I think that that that's going to put the other ones like Enterprise and all the other ones on on notice that this is. This is coming because people are going to go to Hertz because they heard that they have a model, you know, that they have a Tesla and people want to drive a Tesla. Now, how they're going to get people who know nothing about driving a Tesla to understand it. Right. And, you know, the car does not drive itself. No, you have to actually pay attention. And you have to have a smartphone that's uh, got the app to unlock it, right? I mean, how's that going to work? Well, no, actually, you, you might... Put, I think they allow you to download the app, but the the pictures that I've seen in the commercials, have you seen the commercials with Tom Brady? That had to cost a lot. No, I won't watch anything with Tom Brady. Well, it's a commercial for her. I get it. Yeah, I mean, he's, 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 and he's had a Tesla Model S for years. Yeah. And he's a big proponent of EVs. And, uh, you know, he's sitting in this, you know, line of rental cars and he's like plugged in in his chest and they, you know, decouples it and, and talks a little bit. But, but what they show is they show people being given the, the little credit card key. Okay. And they unlock the car that way and drive it that way. Got you. So it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, go to your phone. You might, it might work because what's going to happen on Tesla, the, on all Tesla owners, the app that I use to, you know, basically, you know, operate, operate car. the car, uh, you know, it opens and does all sorts of other things. And uh, they're what they're going to do is they're going to have my um, profile, which means my settings for the, the seats and all that kind of stuff. Right. Go to the cloud. And what that means is, is that if I get in another Tesla vehicle with that, it will set it to my, st- you know, what I have already that's in my settings. Right. That so, makes sense. So I could go from Tesla vehicle, even that's not mine, I could go to a friend's Tesla and they would be able to, I mean, I'd be able to operate it because it would recognize my settings. Got you. So it's interesting what they're going to do. But for, for what I saw from the Hertz, you know, ad, they were using the credit cards, uh, keys. Okay. So, which work fine. It's just that they don't say, they don't save your profile. Right. You know, you set the seats and you just leave it. And, you know, if somebody else drives the car, they have to set the seats again. Uh, you know, if, if, if it's like a, you know, a husband and wife and they each have the app, it'll, it'll set it each time that driver gets in the car. I wonder just because they're so fast and everything, and it is a different experience when you're behind the wheel in one. Um, you brought up a good point, which is, you know, for drivers who are uninitiated, uh, what's going to happen, and I wonder if that's going to lead to a lot more damage than you might have in just the <laughs> normal course of rental car operations. You know, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. I mean, you know. Um, Sorry, you got to go to um, to uh, Tesla 101 before you can leave the lot. Yeah, wait till you see Tesla insurance. They're 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 offering insurance now based on your driving habits. Mm. Uh, and if you drive badly one month, you're, they actually raise your rate the next month. Wow. And if you drive good the next, you know, that month, they lower it. <laughs> I don't know how much I really like all this connectivity. <laughs> it's I a mean, lot. <laughs> the fact that they can pay attention to all that. I mean, that's been something I've heard from Lyft and Uber drivers that yeah. they are, um, constantly being monitored by those companies because they can see all your movements right down to whether you hit the brakes too fast and 
um, you know, because they can tell based on the velocity of the car. Right, on but that's from, that's from your phone. Right. Right. But but my point being is it's another example of, of Big Brother watching everything. It, it is. But, it, you know, it's interesting, too, that could, because it can be used for good. Tesla put out a safety video. Mm. They have their own crash lab. And they also have data from millions of vehicles about how they're hit because the crash standards we have right now are not how vehicles are really hit. You know, the ones that are, you know, the ones that are tested for, right. they know exactly what it is. And since they actually make their own airbags and the deploy, they know exactly, they will by software adjust when the airbags deploy hmm. based on the kind of impact you're in. And they, they know this down to the milliseconds because they can see the data from your, uh, from all the crashes that have happened. I would have to guess, too, that while they may be one of the first, um, they're not going to be the last to oh, implement no, all these things. These are going to be standard in the whole industry of EV. The entire industry is following what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, Rivian is the, you know, the truck. You know, the right. They're, they're, it's almost an exact copy of Tesla for almost everything they're doing. Cool. They're all going to do it. Thanks right. for the answers. Uh, thanks, John. You're listening to Todd Bianco. This is all revved up on Radio 111. We'll be right back. Radio 111 is talking all things automotive on All Revved Up with Todd Bianco. Welcome back. Uh, we were talking lots of news, and this was, we were talking the Tesla uh, and Hertz deal. And there's there's always more Tesla news, but just to, to put a, a cap on it, uh, the Tesla Model 3 was the best-selling vehicle in Europe this month. Best-selling vehicle of any kind. It beat the the rap. I mean, it, it it beat the Volkswagen Golf. It beat the Renault Clio. All that we used to be the best selling cars in Europe. It beat them all. Hmm. That one EV, and it's more expensive, but it beat them all. And this is before. This, these are all uh, imported from China. These cars. That's where they came from. And this is before they're going to open this gigantic factory they're having just outside of Berlin. And that's going to be basically building Model Y because Model Y is going to be the best-selling car. And it, it, it's, it, it's, the, it's the sweet spot of the market. Everybody's buying SUVs. Uh, it'll, it's likely to overtake the Tesla Model 3 this year as the best-selling EV. And it will definitely, if it doesn't, it will definitely take it over next year because the Texas factory in Austin is going to be building Model Y. That's their first product out the door. They're already doing castings for it. They're already doing bodies for it. They're not open yet, but they're already preparing to do all this. And uh, it's going to take over things. Nobody can produce it at this volume. You know, they're going to probably produce a million cars uh, this year, or close to a million. Uh, nobody's even close to that. Uh, EVs. I mean, Volkswagen can't touch them. And they're the ones that are the closest. Well, if there's that much saturation in the market, do you think that that's going to ultimately bring the prices down some? 
I don't think so. They've already raised prices like four times. They keep raising prices because the demand is too high. But isn't they're, that they're, also the fleecing of America? It, it is, but but they're trying to get. I mean, you know, when when you tell a customer that you will get your car to you in six, six or eight months, yeah, it's very unattractive. It's, it's very unattractive, and they're trying. They they're desperately trying to fill up their orders, but until they get the new factory up and running. They can't do it because what they'll do is they'll shift more Model Y production to Texas because that will be a much faster, more efficient plant, and then they'll pump more Model Three out of out of Fremont. But Fremont's going to be going at full speed. Uh, they're doing they you know they have their own battery factory next to Fremont, and uh, the the Texas factory will have its own battery factory soon because mm-hmm. that's all part of the the plan is that they're going to make their own batteries next to their plants. Berlin is going to do the same thing. But they have to be the new format batteries, which are called the 4680 uh, batteries. And all that means is it's 46 millimeters by 80 millimeters. It looks like a fat D-cell. Um, but it's, more, it's, it's cheaper to build and it's more energy dense. And uh, so they can, they can build a car that goes 300 miles with less batteries. Hmm. That's, the, that's the idea. It'll, you know, that they can put less batteries in the car, but it will still get the range that people want. I think they they should all have to get to like five hundred. Well, the Lucid Air, which they just started delivering, is five hundred. Yeah. But it's gonna it's also one hundred and sixty thousand, <laughs> <laughs> and and it's got a gigantic battery pack in it, and it weighs fifty three hundred pounds. Yikes! Yeah, so it's a it's a little tubby. Don't flip that car. I mean, they've got some. Yeah, they, it's it's never going to flip. It's all the weight is on the bottom. Yeah. I mean, you can't. I mean, in the in the crash tests for like the Tesla Model X, the you know the SUV, they can't get it to tip over. <laughs> I mean, it goes over like on two wheels. Like yeah. you know, it's like forty five degrees, a little bit more, and then it flops back on its on the wheels. <laughs> it's because it's such a low center of gravity. Uh, that's unlike if you see if you see there's there's a. There's a YouTube channel called Wham Bam Tesla Cam, hmm. and people send him all their videos from the you know the t- the cameras that are on the Tesla, and most you know it's a, usually crashes, you know about all these things that happen and the cameras catch it because you know they see everything and and it, you can't believe how many times people the other the other parties lie to the to the cops about what happened, yeah, and then the Tesla owner shows the cops the video, cop says, huh. You lied. You're getting the t- you know you're getting the ticket. And you're yeah. getting cited. And same thing with insurance companies. The insurance companies see the videos and say, "Oh, the other person lied," and then they get it paid for. But it's it's weird to see. And they also have a thing called the Honda bump because so many Teslas are apparently hit by Hondas. Really? Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> Honda. But it's weird because those little it, Honda drivers. Uh, trying to flex their muscle and prove that they can outrun the electric car i think most of it is they're not they're not watching i mean lots of them are just you know somebody stop at a stoplight and there's a there's a honda behind them and the stoplight hasn't turned yet but the honda just goes forward <laughs> i mean you know it doesn't hit them hard i mean the, right. most of them are just you know t- bumps to the bumpers and stuff right. inside of the car but it's uh it's just funny seeing because you can see from the from the cameras that you know, it's like, okay, because you have the front camera that can show the red light, right. and then you have the back camera that can show the Honda just going bam into you. Now, this happens with other, other cars, right. but, the, but the joke is it's a, it's a Honda bump. I mean, you know, so they, they actually have the t-shirts you can buy with, you know, a hashtag, you know, Honda bump. So, <laughs> but this is, you know, this is YouTube stuff. I mean, yeah. but, you know, it's fun to watch some of these things. They have great videos that get sent in. That's incredible. <laughs> 
yeah it's 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 a it's or incredibly ridiculous but you well know. yeah i mean i have when i have my century mode i have all the videos saved from when anybody walks near my car yeah if, you know i delete most of them because nobody's scratching my car but there's so many where you can find people keying your car I mean, you know, they get these people and then they back out and they can see their license plate and guess what happens. So remember, if you're going to go and scratch up some Tesla vehicles, you better keep your Halloween yeah, fare. Keep, keep your uh, mask on and don't close don't, by and don't drive your car near it either because it will right. catch the license plate. Okay. There you <laughs> All right. You're listening to Radio 111 all revved up. This is Todd Bianco. We'll be right back. Up continues with Todd Bianco, your Radio 111 auto aficionado. Here's welcome, Todd. Welcome, welcome back. Well, uh, just for the good news, I guess today is that the average new car price now tops $45,000 according to Consumer Reports. The deal of the century. I mean, I remember when it used to be like $20,000 and it's gone up from there. Now it's $45,000 and it's because Americans are buying gigantic SUVs. And I guess their payments are going up for 72 months or something like that. They don't care. And they're just going to be underwater with these things for years. And especially 72 months is a long time for a car loan. And I think by the time those loans are up, uh, you know, an internal combustion engine car is going to be going down in price, not up. Because people are going to be buying EVs and they're going to be cheaper and cheaper as time goes on. Right now, we're already uh, nearly at price parity with EVs. I'm guessing, though, that the government is going to have to step in with some sort of a a bailout to people who have to get out of them and get into the electric vehicles the closer we get to those uh, mandated dates. I I think so, too. I also think they might have to bail out the companies. Yeah. Yeah, Because, you know, if you're you're to the point, like in, say, 2030, or, you know, where the European Union, most of it is banned, you know, most— you know, internal combustion engine is banned. And we're talking about 2035 for California. And other states are going to follow us or have followed us. So as those things phase out, you know, are phased out from being sold, what's going to happen is that the, 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 the resale price of those cars is probably going to go down because, you know, I, you know, you may think it might go up because, oh, people are desperate to get it. But after a while, if you've driven an EV it's a better car. It's mm-hmm. simply better. Um, you know, and we're going to have, everybody's building out, you know, charging infrastructure. And by the way, part of the Hertz deal with, with, uh, with uh, Tesla is they're building out a lot of destination chargers. So where people are going, hotels and, you know, national, you know, national parks and things like that, they're building out uh, charging infrastructure there. Level two is what I would have in my garage. So it's like 35 miles an hour. I was going to ask you, are, are all of the charging uh, facilities, are they all standardized so that, um, like, if you have a Tesla and you're at a Tesla station um, or charging station, I realize maybe that it's part of the package deal where you don't pay for the juice. Um, but um, do all charging stations work with all vehicles? 
Yes. Okay. So I mean, if I had a non-Tesla, I could charge at a Tesla station, no. but I would be billed for it? Tesla's a walled-off garden right now. Oh. You can't. Because it's there's no other way for Tesla to bill it, bill it. If you've ever seen Tesla superchargers, they're just like a you know this thing that stands there like a little monument. Right. And there's a you know it has the charging cord. That's it. There's no there's no way to you can't slide your credit card or anything in. You plug it in. The Tesla recognizes your car. It pops up on the screen and it shows the charging and it's as it goes. And it has how much it costs right on the screen as you're going. Some cars get it for, you know, some Teslas get it for free, but most of us have to pay. And, you know, it's right on the screen there how much you're paying uh, as how it goes along. How much do you pay? Well, my usual charge from L.A. when I drive here, uh, I go about 100 miles and it's like $8. Hmm. So it's not, not too bad. Yeah, it's nothing like going to the gas station. No, especially today is all I go yeah. to the gas station. So what I do is I basically add that back. I add another 100 miles back to my car at that time. And then when I come into town, it's another 20 miles into town from where I charge it. Uh, I then uh, do trickle charge at home. And that's four to five miles an hour. Now, that sounds like nothing, but, you know, I don't go that many places at night. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, you know, if I'm parked at home for eight or 10 hours, that's, you know, 40 or 50 miles that I can put on my car by trickle charge. Right. Which is more than enough for that I, you know, for to, to, you know, to recharge for whatever I need for driving around town, uh, driving home or whatever I need and to do. And is that all you can do or can you charge at a more rapid rate? Oh no, I can go eat at the Ace Hotel and use one of their destination chargers. They'll never know. Hmm. Uh, or I could, you know, there's other hotels around town, but there's also uh, superchargers, as you said, uh, near the uh, museum under the uh, underground parking near Maryland. Right. I could go there and, you know, plug into a supercharger if I wanted to. If you can get to them. Yeah, if you can get to them. But generally, yes, I mean, you can you can, uh, you can, can do that. So, hmm. Do you think there will come a time when the government mandates that, you know, yeah, okay, you can have your chargers in here, but you have to have a system where everybody can make use of them and pay you for it, the use of yeah. them because I, you're here and you're part of the infrastructure. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, be, right now, you, a Tesla can plug into any other system. I mean, s- we, system. Can't, we can't have, uh, you know, a Nissan and a, you know, GM and a... No. Well, they need they need to have standardized, pl- standardized yeah. plugs. Now, the problem with Tesla is that they did it before there was any sort of standard. They yeah. just did their thing. And it's much more elegant. It's much more simple. It looks fabulous. I mean, compared to these big clunky other things that they've got right now. But what what you have to do if you have a Tesla to use the other chargers is you have to have an adapter. Now, you can get an adapter. They're not cheap. I mean, 50 bucks or something. But you can get an adapter so you can go to one of the other, you know, whether it's Electrify America or, or whatever. There's, you know, there's plenty of other options out there. They're but not shouldn't as fast. It, shouldn't it be, shouldn't the government be telling all of them, you're going to have this standardized, yes. just like the yes. pump at the Absolutely. gas station. Absolutely. It should yeah. be standardized. And it'd be better to fix it now when we're still in the infancy of EVs than, you know, 10 years from now. Right. I think what the what the government said at, at first, this was, but this was years ago, is yeah. that, well, we'll just wait to see what, what wins, you know, what, <laughs> what, you know, what standard yeah. wins. VHS or Betamax. Right. It's that kind of thing. But the, but the thing is that in Europe, Tesla is all CCS, which is what everybody else uses in Europe. Mm. So they've standardized in Europe and in China as well. Uh, it's just it's just the United States where they 
you know, they, they started out and, and you know, they built their own charging network everywhere. I mean, they yeah. have by far the most chargers of anybody. And they, but nobody else was doing it. I mean, they weren't getting help to do that. So they, they built it out and they used their chargers. Now, it just came on for sale in, in, in South Korea of all places. But uh, the, 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 the adapter to go to CCS is, is, is available now. Mm. And, uh, you know, so that you can plug into anything, this, you know, but by a Tesla-made adapter. You could buy an aftermarket adapter, but this is, this is from Tesla. But, you know, generally it, it should be. And, and Elon's talked about opening their network as well. But to do it, you'd have to have a Tesla app and a Tesla account. Because they can't really change all the superchargers to have, you know, displays. And well, I think that that's fair. If they provide yeah. that, it's not any different than you deciding to get a Valero or a Chevron or a Union 76 credit card and use the credit from those places. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, but you would have to have the Tesla app and, a, yeah. and, and Tesla account. But there's no reason that you couldn't do it. I mean, it's not like it costs you any money to sign up for a Tesla account and put your credit card on, you know, right. on file. And so that if, when, you know, when you, when you go to a, a supercharger, there must, they need to find a way so that the supercharger recognizes the app yeah. because right now it recognizes your car. When you plug in, it says, Oh, hi, I know you. I mean, you know, they know yeah. everything. It pops up, and again, it pops up on your screen. This would have to be through your phone, through the internet, right. as opposed to whatever system they're using. I guess they're probably using internet connections. But well, most know. people who probably have EVs, I'm going to presume anywhere you're going to have a smartphone. Well, one would assume. Yeah, but not everybody. I guess there's some people will still with flip phones. Screw them. Well, but aren't they usually the people who are, um, you know, drug dealers and stuff? Where they not can... necessarily. <laughs> um, you know, we had somebody who worked on the air here for us since the beginning of time of this radio station, and she refuses to get a smartphone. My mother won't. Yeah, she says she can't see it, and, and, she, and her fingers don't really. You know, when she tries to tap something, yeah. it doesn't work for her. So she won't. So I get she has a flip phone that I gave her, so that when she's out and about and riding her tricycle somewhere on a, you know, and something happens that she can actually make a phone call. Right. And when the power goes out, she can make a phone call, but it's a, it's a flip phone. All these things we have to think about just to have the latest technology in a new car. Well, but it, yeah, it, it is, but that's, I, it, everything is going that way. Yeah. As far as I know, every new car is going to have over the air updates and try to do what Tesla did. Uh, right now, Porsche had re, had a recall because they have something wrong with their uh, emergency braking system, but they actually, they didn't do over the air. They you have to go to the Porsche dealer to do it. Hmm. They should be able to do it over the air. Yeah. But they're not, they're making. You'd think with a premium brand like that. Yeah. I mean, would. it's a nice car. I like the car. I mean, you yeah. know, but uh, that's the, the, the take on. But the idea was that it says I have over the air capabilities. Then why don't I do it? And I think the problem is, is that the Volkswagen group just doesn't know how to do it. You know, how to how to do the, what Tesla's doing, you know, to push the, you know, to push it mm-hmm. and to push the updates as they need it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery to me why they don't do it, but apparently they can't. I mean, when Volkswagen first came out with the ID3, which was their uh, golf-sized hatchback that they don't sell here, that they sell in Europe, none of them worked. Hmm. They had parking lots with acres and acres of <laughs> these cars, and they had to be hand, you know, each they had to be gone to with a technician and a laptop Yikes. and fixed. Oh, my God. Each one of them. What a disaster that yeah, is. But that's, yeah, this Volkswagen's a big group. They're the biggest in the world. Yeah. 
and they're having troubles doing what Tesla did. They just had, in fact, Tesla, I mean, um, Volkswagen just had a huge meeting where they had the managers from all the brands come in as like 40 or 50 of them and they were sitting in a conference room with the the, the CEO of Volks, you know, of the Volkswagen group who is a big who's pushing this big because mm-hmm. he, and he's doing the right thing and so he was talking to them about you know Tesla makes a car in you know 10 hour or you know in, in 10 hours and we take you know 20 or something like that but whatever it was it was they, they took three times the amount of time to build the car than Tesla did and so that he had uh, can't be competitive in that environment. That's what he told them. And then they got it even worse when uh, his name is Herbert Dies, who's the uh, CEO of Volkswagen. He had a special uh, guest come in and talk to them. Guess who? Who? Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> it was by video, but still, yeah. uh, I I can assure you, they, there were pictures of this event. I'm sure it's been recorded too, but I've only seen the still pictures. And the look on the faces of these German managers, they've all got their, you know, the legs crossed and their arms crossed and there's this nasty look on their face. Who? Elon Musk? You know, we're not, we don't want to talk, you know, we want nothing to do with him. Yeah. But it was funny because you see the body language of these people. It's like, this is bad. But, yeah. you know, Deese says, you know, the, we've, we can't be competitive if it takes three, three times the amount of time for us to build a car. Right, you know, we're 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 spending too much. It's not competitive. You know, Tesla's laser focused on making cars as fast as possible with you know as less little cost as possible. They'll invest up front in machines to do it, but it pays off very quickly. And right. and the thing is that they're doing it in in Germany now in their backyard, and they're hiring from their backyard, and they're paying more. <laughs> than some of these people are getting because there's been a reluctance to go work for Tesla in Germany because it's an American company and it's a direct competitor to Daimler, you know, for Mercedes-Benz and BMW and Volkswagen, you know, Volkswagen, Audi, all the all the uh, brands that they have. It's a direct competitor. And since Volkswagen's going all EV, you know, they don't like that. They're getting there. You know, they're getting people to work for them, but it's, you know, it's one of those things. Right. You know, you're in our backyard. All right. You're, you're, <laughs> this is Todd Bianco. You're listening to Radio 111, all revved up, and we will be right back. Radio 111 showroom. Todd Bianco is talking automotive industry news and insight. All revved up continues. Here's Todd. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. 
Uh, we've been talking mostly EVs this hour, so I thought, why not go with that? And um, <laughs> uh, Panasonic, you know, Panasonic is uh, Tesla's partner that's uh, building their batteries out in the Nevada desert near Sparks, uh, Nevada. And it's, um, it's their Gigafactory. It's the first one they built that everybody said that Tesla was insane to build something that big. And sure enough, they need every, every little bit of that gigantic factory. Well, Panasonic has unveiled a prototype of the large format at 4680 cylindrical battery cells that are going to be for Tesla. Uh, the uh, electronics giant, which is their gigantic company in, in Japan, um, and they're the primary battery supplier for Tesla, uh, either in the joint partnership in Nevada or but through directly from Japan, which are for the Model S and the Model X. Uh, you know, they're building tons and tons of batteries. At first, the... Uh, the uh, CEO of Panasonic said, yeah, we don't think this is a good idea. Suddenly, they think it's a good idea. Wonder what happened. Maybe he got a call from Elon who explained to him the, the chemistry and how to do it. Somebody at Tesla called them and said, this is what you need to do, and this is how you need to do the, you know, the, 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 the process. Because Tesla's got this gigantic, not gigantic, this, it's actually a little building for it for Tesla, but it's this, it's this factory out in... in um, uh, in Fremont that's called Cato Road, which is where they've got their pr prototype uh, f uh, machines and they're building the 4680 cells and they were getting them to the point where they thought it would, they were usable in the cars and that the machines were uh, you know, doing things the way that they wanted and that the product at that, that the end was right. So they've been doing this experimental stuff at Cato Road and they think they've got it to the point where the, the, the cells are ready uh, and they're going to be shipping them to Texas and to Berlin, probably. And once these things are rolling off in mass quantities, either from Panasonic or from Tesla's own factories, they're going to be able to actually do the Cybertruck and the uh, the um, the Semi. Right now, those, both of those products are on hold until Tesla can get a large enough supply of the 4680 cells. They need those because the cost of those cells is much, much lower, and the energy density is high enough that they can actually put them in these big products like the Cybertruck and the uh, uh, and the, uh, the the semi to make them profitable and to give them the distance that they need I mean you know if you can get four or five hundred miles out of a out of a cyber truck and and uh, you know that much out of a large battery pack for a semi uh, for hauling stuff then that's what you need so that's what they're on you know they're, they're waiting for uh, but, uh, you know, the 4680 cells was just about the size, and they are large. Right now, like in my Model 3 and the Model Y, they're called the 2170 format. Those are the ones that are being pumped out of out of uh, uh, the Nevada factory right now. And the 2170, all that refers to is 21 millimeters wide and 20 millimeters long. Uh, you know, it just looks like a, you know, AAA or AA battery. Uh, but, uh, you know, so Panasonic seemed to change their minds. Uh, which is interesting because you know some, somebody somebody said something to them and they decided mm, this isn't a bad idea and suddenly they have prototypes and are ready to start you know pre-production of these things out in uh, Nevada. Well, that's good and that's that's good for them. So um, General Motors uh, decided that it's going to need more charging. So what they've done is. Um, They've gone, they, they need more easy access to DC fast chargers uh, for their customers who are going to be buying their EVs whenever those come out. Uh, so what they're going to do is something, it's a, it's a novel approach. Uh, they're going to um, 
you know, they're going to their dealers and they're asking the dealers as to, you know, where they should be putting these things in the, in the various areas. Uh, you know, so the dealers would know we well, should put them at this place or that hotel or this apartment building. And they're actually going to be building these things out for multi-unit structures that don't have charging right now. Uh, GM hopes to see 40,000 level two chargers, which is, you know, like I said, a destination charger, something that's uh, maybe 30 to 45 miles an hour um, uh, installed. It's part of the uh, charging infrastructure that they're going to be spending $750 million on by 2025. According to GM, it's about, <clears throat> uh, it has about 4,500 dealerships uh, in the U.S. and Canada, and most of those EV certified are EV certified dealerships. And according to GM, again, 90% of the U.S. population lives within 10 miles of a GM dealership. Uh, GM also gave a first look at its family of level two Ultium chargers for home use. The units were developed uh, with the company CTK, CTEK, which I don't know what that stands for, but CTEK, and are designed to work for those uh, brands as uh, those you know with those apps that are various. Uh, there's various apps out there for the various types of chargers, um, charging systems, and it will allow Wi-Fi and Bluetooth connectivity. They also have dynamic load balancing and allow for over-the-air updates, which is a pretty good. It's a pretty good package. They look very nice, actually. If you see pictures online, they look pretty good. When we come back, it's Bring a Trailer Hour, and we have a lot of very interesting picks this week. And John will join me again, and it will be fun to go over our auctions from last week, how much the thing sold for, and what we've got going on this week. This is Todd Bianchi. You're listening to Radio 111. This is all revved up, and we will be right back. Taking the discussion from zero to 100 in seconds. Radio 111 presents Southern California's talk about cars and trucks. It's all revved up with Todd Bianco. Welcome back. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm here with John McMullen. Hello, John. Hey, Todd. How are you? I'm well, thanks. And uh, this is our Bring a Trailer Hour. Yep. So we have some interesting things from last week. And let's go over what we had. So you had a Rolls Royce, a 1931 Rolls Royce, no less, 20 slash 50. It was quite an interesting car and it sold for $67,000, which I think is pretty good. You know, that's, yeah. that's not bad for that car because it's not a very popular car right now. And you know, that's not one of the, you know, the big collectibles that are out there. And uh, you know, there are sort of, you know, these sort of older cars are out of favor with collectors for the most part. So 60, it was in a great shape. It was a nice, nice car. Somebody spent a lot of money with the restoration. And so, um, you know, that's a good price for it. Uh, then you had a 1965 Ford Mustang convertible. And remember, it was turquoise with the turquoise and white oh, yeah. interior. Beautiful, beautiful car. Well, it sold for thirty-six two fifty, which hmm. isn't bad. I mean, that's not not high, not low, but a pretty good price for something that is 
as you know it had all the options and looked right. fantastic and you know all those kinds of things i thought it was a great car so i think that was a fair price for the car then you had a, ni- a 2011 Toyota Tacoma. That was like, you know, that was the one that was outfitted for when the end of the world came. Right. Yeah. I mean, it had just about everything. It had a freezer. It had a refrigerator. That was the one that had the snorkel. It had a snorkel, you know, just in case you're going through, yeah. you know, very deep water. Yeah. It had all those things. but it, And it sold for $40,000. Which I think is probably what the person put into it when they when they when they did all that you know addition to the car, uh, they spent a lot of money on the on all the additions to that car that they made all the all the modifications. So uh, forty thousand is a pretty good price for anybody who got that car because you know it's a it's only a ten year old Toyota Tacoma, so it's likely to last a long time. Those are really you know well made trucks, and uh, you know kind of one of those things that are you know they'll they'll, they'll last for a really long time. Yep. Uh, then you had a 1971 Di Tomasa Pantera, and it was black. I thought it was a really nice-looking car. It, it sold for 76000 which is a pretty good price, I thought. I mean, I've seen Panteras go for over 100 So this one, I guess, maybe wasn't somebody's idea of perfect, but I thought it looked really great. It sold for 76000 And then you had a 1967 Pontiac Firebird. It was the first year of Firebird, and it was white, I think, with a blue interior. Uh, really very nice very you know it had the right. it had the straight six but it was you know it was a pretty basic car but it was really nice and in great almost a, you know original condition it was bid to 295 it did not sell hmm yeah somebody must have wanted a lot of money for it it could have been that the reserve was at 30,000 you know it's hard to know right and they never tell you what the reserve is on these things yeah so, we talked about that last week. Yeah, the fact you know, that it would be cool if if they would post that after the fact. It would be very nice. I, I I'm sure that the high bidder is talking to the seller, and some deal will be made, which is what usually happens. All right, um, my picks were a 1966 Fiat 2300 Coupe, which I thought was a really nice looking Fiat. Um, just you don't see very many of these things. You know, it was designed. You know, the car was penned by Pininfarina. Um, Lots of glass, looked terrific inside and out. Uh, nice leather interior, something that Fiat doesn't do anymore. You know, building nice looking cars. Uh, it sold for $46,000. And then I had a 1971 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am. And that was a pretty cool car. It had just about everything I would ever want on a car, all the right options and stuff. And But it sold for a whopping 59000 So maybe your Firebird that's, you know, bid to twenty nine five, but this Firebird was a 71 and it was bid to, you know, it was sold at 59000 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we had that really cool looking 1970 Fiat Dino, sort of like a, you know, a wannabe Ferrari, but, and it could have, you know, probably half the parts were from Ferrari. And at that time, of course, uh, Ferrari was part of uh, Fiat, Uh, but uh, it was a great looking uh, car. It came with a, its own hard top as well. And it sold for 142.5. Nice price. Yeah. And then I had the, um, the uh, 1966 Corvair, which had the Power Glide transmission, which I rarely ever see, and it had factory air again, which I've almost never seen in a Corvair. Uh, it was a very simple car. There was nothing, you know, particularly special about it. It was a, it was the, you know, second generation, great looking coupe, and it sold for seventy four hundred dollars. So <laughs> that was a good price. I mean, it was. I think it was no reserve. And then I had the nine, the 2000 Ford Mustang Cobra R which was there special. They only made a few hundred of them. They were all done in the same red color. Uh, 
you know, this one had very, very low miles. I forgot what it was, like 23 miles or some very low miles on it. It was bid to 85,000 and it did not sell. 85,000, that did not sell. I mean, that's like double what it costs new. Hmm. But it did not sell. What are you going to do? Call I mean, Ghostbusters. Uh, call Ghostbusters. That, that's that's a good idea. Call bo- call Ghostbusters. Maybe it will make a maybe it will make a difference. But uh, I was just surprised that at eighty five thousand, it did not sell. Right. Well, we've seen some a lot of vehicles. Actually, I'm surprised over the last you know several years that um, that have been in that category. And you're like, holy smokes, they really must have very rich expectations. Yes, I I think they do, and. Um, uh, sometimes I think it's unrealistic. I think oftentimes it's probably, you know, bring a trailer says to them, you know, maybe you want to lower that, but it's really up to the seller when it comes right down to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's look at this week. And this week was, a, I, I almost picked this car too. So I'm glad I didn't pick it because you picked it. It's a, um, let's see, it's a 1962 Lotus 23B. And it's been owned for 28 years. This is a real race car though. Uh, this has been, let's see, it says this 1962 Lotus 23B is one of approximately 130 Type 23 sports racing cars built by the British manufacturer between 1962 and 1964. It is said to have been originally delivered to Australia uh, and identified by its Arch Motors frame number AM123. The car was reportedly refurbished in the UK before being imported to the US, where it was raced by its previous owner in Texas between 1988 and 1990. In 1993, it was purchased by the current owner, who cam- uh, campaigned it at historic events through 2012, including three appearances at the Monterey Motorsports Reunion. Uh, Wow. Power is provided by a 1.6 liter Lotus Ford dual overhead cam inline featuring twin Weber uh, carbs uh, that send power to the rear wheels via a Hewland five speed. I haven't heard that in a long time. Hewland five speed manual transaxle finished in dark green over red upholstery. Uh, this 23B is now offered at no reserve on dealer consignment in Emeryville, California, on a bill of sale with logbooks covering races between 1988 and 2012, a collection of spare parts and invoices dating back to 2006. Um, current bid is at $50,000. Hmm. So it ends in two days. Interesting, but I do I do like it. I think it's uh, yeah. I, when I first started looking for cars this week, my theme was originally starting out as vehicles I'd want to buy if I ran a movie studio to have on hand for different special you know things. And I thought you know, and as I went through, there were some others that I thought ah, this is just kind of a generic vehicle. But um, uh, but that was my original thought, and also was the case with my with my second pick. Right, which is a 1986 Apollo Verona. Now, I've never seen an Apollo Verona. It's kind of a kit car. They did not make a lot of these things. 
and it's kind of a you know it's a Frankensteinian thing where it's it's using you know it's this 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 nineteen eighty six Apollo Verona was acquired by the seller in May of two thousand sixteen and is finished in red with a tan soft top uh, over tan upholstery. Uh, power comes from a GM three hundred five cubic inch V eight paired with three speed turbo hydromatic transmission. So those are two GM things that are running this thing. Additional equipment includes uh, chrome fifteen inch wire wheels. Uh, front basic front disc brakes, uh, chrome trim and bumpers, Nardi steering wheel, and a Kenwood AM/FM cassette player. The Verona is offered with a tan so, you know, tan boot cover and a special and a specially constructed Nevada title in the seller's name, uh, listing the car as a 1995 ASVE REP52. That's interesting, <laughs> but it's a, but they say it's a 1986 Apollo Verona. Um, it kind of looks like a cross between like a, an old MG and a, I'm not sure, a Morgan in front. And it's got a very long hood. It's in very, it's very red. Um, very interesting, but, yeah. um, it's not getting, it's not getting a lot of love yet. It's only at $6,300. Mm, currently at 8,000. I see. Oh, it's, it's up. Yeah. Gee, it must've been bid up since I looked at it two hours ago. <laughs> Wow. But still at 8,000, that yeah. ain't much. Yeah, you're right. It's 8,000. There it is. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. Your next car is a 1970, I think that's right. Yep. 1970 El Camino 400 cubic inch. 400 cubic inch. 1970 El Camino. Um, it has an SS badge on front, but it is not an SS. I think the owner just liked it and put it there. Yeah. And it has a, you know, it's sort of a cream, what do they call the color there? Um, uh, do they even give a color? Uh, oh, white. They just call it white. It looks kind of cream. It looks more like cream. But yeah, with yeah. with silver stripes and, uh, you know, black. Maybe it's and, just the way that the sun hits yeah. the car. Yeah, black and gray interior. And it says, this 1970 uh, Chevrolet El Camino has been refurbished in white with silver uh, hood stripes over a refreshed black and gray interior and is powered by a small block 400 cubic inch, which I'm surprised because most of these just had a 350. Um, V8 paired with a four-speed, which is also much newer because this, this, this car from 1970 would have had a three-speed automatic transmission. Other equipment includes a four-barrel carburetor, 12-bolt rear axle, lower suspension, front disc brakes, an SS grill. That's, so it's not an SS. Uh, tinted glass, a bed liner, 15-inch Krager wheels, um, a receiver hitch, air conditioning, thank God, uh, a cup holder console, which they certainly didn't have back then, uh, Bluetooth stereo again. That's the much more modern and Flowmaster mufflers. There you go. Seller yeah. seller acquired the vehicle in 2015 and has since had the interior reupholstered, stereo installed, current the carburetor and the intake manifold and heater core replaced. Uh, is now offered in Wash with a Washington title in Kingston, Washington, within the seller's name. Yeah, I I kind of saw this one uh, in that original theme I mentioned. Um, this would have been driven by a um, uh, walk-on character in uh, the remake of something like uh, the Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's kind of like a Bubba type of car. But it would need to be orange or something. Right? Yeah. I mean, another color. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's see. Um, your next car. This car 
completely falls, as you know, into a fetish that I have. Yes, and you've been doing Camaros for a long time. Now. Yeah, from the 60s. From the 60s. And this is, you know, the first generation Camaro. Uh, this is a three 327 powered 1986 Chevy Camaro. No, 1968. Oh, I'm sorry, 1968. Uh, that, that's, called, <laughs> that's called dyslexia. I've had <laughs> it all my life. But <laughs> we'll talk more about it. So this is 1968 Chevy Camaro RS four speed. And it's it's got a lot of modifications. It's fun. We'll talk about more. We'll talk about it more when we get back. This is Todd Bianco. You're listening to Radio 111, all revved up. We'll be right back. Up continues with Todd Bianco, your Radio 111 auto aficionado. Here's Todd. Welcome back. I'm here with John McMullen, and we are talking bring a trailer this hour. And uh, we just before the break, we said that we have a 1968 Chevy Camaro RS four speed with 327 power. And uh, let's read what it says here it says this 1968 chevy camaro rs is finished in hyper metallic blue which we both really like mm-hmm. good looking color yeah it's a great looking yeah. color with white stripes over a black interior and is powered by a replacement 327 cubic inch v8 paired with a four-speed manual transmission equipment includes 15 inch relic wheels front disc brakes uh comp cams camshaft dual exhaust system front and rear spoilers hearst t handle shifter and dual and a dual blue uh, oh, sorry and a bluetooth stereo system the car was acquired by the owner in 2011 and was subsequently refurbished with work uh, including a repaint hood and fender replacement and an engine refresh this rs is now offered with a clean new jersey title in the seller's name in, in egg harbor city new jersey love the name so Let's see. Uh, well, I better refresh it because maybe it's gone up. But it was at seventeen seven fifty when I looked. That's what I'm showing right yeah. now. Okay, yep. so it's it's still at that. Okay, uh, all right, that's good. Um, I, I I like the car. I I you know hopefully uh, it will sell it. It does have a reserve though, so yeah. Uh, it ends tomorrow. Yeah. So we'll see what you know by the time we get back together next weekend what it looks like. Yeah. And your last pick, John, was a 1982 Toyota 4x4 pickup 5-speed. Yep. <coughs> Just a basic old Toyota 4x4. Yeah, but they, they've really, you know, pumped it up here. They've got, you know, fender flares and, you know, it's supposed to be like a Baja off-road type yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. Let's see what it says here. It says that this 1982 Toyota 4x4 pickup is finished in blue with silver graphics over black leather and is powered by a 2.4 liter inline four mated to a five-speed manual transmission and a dual range transfer case. Modifications consist of lock-up front and rear bumpers, um, yeah, you lock yeah locked up front and rear bumpers. A ru- I don't know that name. L C K T U P. Uh, rugged trail uh, suspension lift, 16 inch alloy wheels, a roll bar with Casey lighting, a winch, 
uh, bushwhacker wheel uh, arch flares. Uh, the truck spent time in Pennsylvania and Ohio prior to the selling dealer's recent acquisition, uh, and subsequent maintenance is said to have been have involved replacement of the brake pads, rotors, uh, master cylinder. This Toyota pickup shows fifty-five thousand miles, and is now offered. Wow, fifty-five thousand miles. That's not much. No, for an eighty-two. Yeah, and it's just yeah. under ten thousand by a buck. Yeah. And this closes when? This closes in two, in two days. days. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I thought it was a great value at that price, and it, it's no reserve, so it's going to go. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's, I think it's pretty. I mean, it's fun. I mean, yeah. I'm not. I'm not sure this is a daily driver, but it's 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 a fun. No, car. but it's something you go out and play in the desert in. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, all right. Now, that's it for your picks. Now let's start with my pick, and the first one I know is going to be a lot of money, because these are unbelievably fantastic cars and they are very rare and this one's beautiful it is a 1968 toyota 2000 gt now where did it start in terms of the bidding it started at 250 yeah and it's (laughs) now um inching towards three times that yeah it's up at 652 right now (laughs) with three days to go yeah with three days somebody's got some money to play with this is a very rare car. Somebody's going to yeah. want this in their collection. I don't know what the... It's, obviously, it's going to have a reserve. It's a premium listing. Uh, these were never imported to the United States. Um, as I, I think I read about this, that they were they were offered to the Toyota dealers in 1968. And do you know how much they told them that it was going to be? They said it was going to be $10,000. Oh. And the Toyota dealers said no. And they and they had to all take like a few of them. uh uh-huh. And they just said, no way, we can't, you know, just 10000 in 1968 was a lot of money. I mean, a lot. So, and especially at a Toyota dealer who's selling cars for, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Yeah. So they just said, no, we can't, we're not going to take them. So these never came to there. So this 1968 Toyota 2000 GT is one of 351 examples manufactured during a three-year production run and is one of 109 export models configured in left-hand drive. The car is said to have spent time in a Japanese museum <laughs> before being imported to the U.S. in 2013 and was purchased by its current owner later that year. Finished in white over black vinyl interior, it is powered by 1.988 dual-over cam, CC dual-over cam uh, inline six, featuring triple uh, Minuki... McUni 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 Solex I have uh, McUni Solex carburetors uh, I'm sure it's a Japanese company that I just don't know about um, additional equipment includes a five-speed manual transmission a limited slip differential four-wheel independent suspension servo assisted disc, uh, disc brakes 15-inch magnesium alloy wheels a signal seeking radio and a rally clock uh, this uh, uh, Toyota G- 2000 GT was featured on Bring a Trailer in 2013. This is before they did auction, uh, prior to current ownership, and is now offered on dealer consignment in California with a toolkit, uh, recent uh, invoices, and a clean Montana tax dodge title. It's in Beverly Hills right now. Yes. Yeah. Not surprised by that. No, I'm it's not It's interesting, su- though, because they have conflicting information uh, in this posting because uh, on the right side there you'll notice under the essentials it says it's one of 109 left-hand drive examples whereas uh, you first mentioned it and that it does say that it's one of 351 examples. Oh, three, no, 351 and one of but oh, they only made a, of, of that only 109 oh. were, were left-hand. 
The rest are right-hand I drive see. because the Japanese would be right-hand drive. Gotcha. Yeah, so that, that that's what it is. But they only made 351 of them, and they're not all surviving. And this one's gorgeous. Yeah. All right. So this is uh, Todd Bianco and John McMullen. You're all revved up uh, on Radio 111. Radio 111 is talking all things automotive on All Revved Up with Todd Bianco. Welcome back. I'm here with John McMullen. Hello, John. Hello. We're going to the big green machine. We are. I I picked it because I couldn't resist it because it was so green. This is a a 1972 Pontiac Grand Prix with only 21,000 miles, no less. Yeah. Um, this is like the perfect car for a Batman villain. <laughs> Maybe it, the the Riddler or perhaps the one uh, Poison Ivy. Yeah, Poison Ivy. This yeah. would be good because it's the right color. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You really have to look at the pictures online, but it says this 1972 Pontiac Grand Prix Model J was delivered new to South Shore Pontiac in Valley Stream, New York, where it is said to have been purchased by the seller's grandmother and has since remained under the care of a single family. You can tell it's in really nice condition. Yeah. Uh, this car is finished in metallic green with a white vinyl roof over green vinyl, and I might add green carpet, green dashboard, and green handle headliner. Uh, the car is, uh, let's see, uh, finished in metallic green with a white vinyl roof powered by a 400 cubic inch V8 paired with a three-speed automatic transmission. Features include 14-inch rally wheels, white wall tires, dual outlet exhaust, a chrome grill, uh, bumpers and tr- a chrome grill, bumpers and trim, white wall tires, got to have white walls, uh, power-assisted steering and brakes, and a rear window defroster, power windows and locks, and a Pioneer AM FM, that's uh, got to be aftermarket, or stereo. Uh, the one thing that it doesn't, oh, it does have air conditioning. I, I didn't see that listed, but it, do, it is listed there. Um, yeah, which is you know, important if you're going to have a car around here. Am I seeing the right price tag on the original sale at $8,570? I think that's right. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Bargains. Yeah. I mean, you know. Back in the day. It's uh, selling for $18,000 right now. Or maybe it got, went up. I'll have to refresh that page. But No, I think that's uh, what it is. 18000 Yeah. And it ends tomorrow. So we'll see where it goes, but it's at no reserve. It's going to go. Grandma's car is going. Uh, but Grandma's car is in lovely condition. She took very good care of it. Yep. Um, I, I'm I'm willing to bet she paid cash for it. <laughs> and I'm willing to bet she liked green. I am absolutely going to agree with you on that point. <laughs> she just likes green. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for her. But yeah, $850 is what it says there. Is a, that's a seems cheap to us today i'm sure that was considered you know that was a lot of money maybe then you know that pontiac steering wheel that it has yes um the the the, the sort of three point uh, yeah yeah um it's identical to the one that we had in a pontiac station wagon when i was growing up as a kid Uh, i remember those um those honking buttons you know for the horn and things like that in the inset of the of the steering wheel and all that right so it brings back a few memories yeah they gm tended to use the same steering wheel for year after year after year yeah yeah <clears throat> the next one is the one i've never seen before it is a 1989 dodge shelby csx vnt wow 
<laughs> this is a car that I um, had looked at as well for this week, and then I saw that you'd picked it. And yeah, I had to back off, but yeah. Uh, I've never seen one, and let me ex- uh, describe it to people. It's it's a it's a sm- it's a small Japanese two door crap box, but this is not a crap box. It's a little bit better than that. It says this 1988 Shelby. Uh, it's a Dodge Shelby CSX VNT is number 200 of 500 examples produced for the model year. The car is finished in exotic red over a patterned gray cloth interior and is powered by a turbocharged and intercooled 2.2 liter inline four paired with a five speed manual transaxle. Transaxle equipment includes fiber ride composite wheels, which I've never seen before, uh, ground effects. Uh, sports suspension, air conditioning, and Recaro front bucket seats. Again, something you almost never see in one of these cars. The car has been registered in New Jersey since new and was acquired by the seller from the original owner in May of 2021. Service under current ownership is said to have included oil change, replacement of the water pump and battery. Uh, this uh, CS, uh, this uh, you know Dodge Shelby is now offered at no reserve with manufacturer's uh, literature and clean car facts report in New, New Jersey title in the seller's name. Looked to me when I first saw it like it was a little baby version of, and I don't remember the years, the body kind of looked like this, but of the Mustang. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this, 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 they had other sort of crappy Japanese cars that looked like this, but this one was really pumped up. In those days, to have a you know turbocharged and intercooled engine was was not normal. Yeah, uh, and and so this was you know it stood out for that. Um, I would have liked a different exterior color than the red, but I think that the wheels are cool. I like the interior. And yes, it's they're well gold. Kept. Yes, gold wheels. Yeah. No, it, star, it, it looks like a star. And it says it's gray inside, but it actually looks kind of like a grayish blue. Yeah, I think that's the, the effects that do that, you know, the, yeah. the, the graphics that they have on that. Uh, the current, res- current bid is at uh, 9000 There's no reserve, and it ends tomorrow. Okay, the next one I picked I'm in love with. The next two, I uh, this, is, this is one of a few I'm in love with here. This is a 1985 Toyota. Is that the one I want? Is that the one I want to go to? Yeah, a 1985 Toyota Celica GTS 5-speed. This essentially was a, you know, it looks like a Supra, but it's really a Celica with a four, you know, with a four-cylinder engine. A Supra would, of course, have a, a six-cylinder engine. But yeah. uh, it has... Uh, about 86,000 miles. It's uh, in Canada, so it's 139,000 kilometers. But this uh, 1985 Toyota Celica GTS liftback is finished in dark blue metallic over blue cloth and is powered by a 2.4 liter inline four paired, paired with a five-speed manual transmission. Equipment includes power-operated sunroof, which works, uh, wheel arch flares, pop-up headlights, which I am in love with, pop-up headlights, uh, power windows, air conditioning, and 14-inch alloy wheels. The car was acquired in 2009 by the selling dealer, who states that the muffler was replaced and an oil change has been performed. The Celica liftback is offered at no reserve in Canada with the owner's manual, a clean Carfax report, and Manitoba registration. But it's in Winnipeg. Did the Toyota, um, the other models, uh, did it also have a tachometer like this one? Because it's a little weird. It's this, different. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is kind of more of an LED. Well, this is the digital equipment package. It says, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a digital. I'm I'm pretty sure that that was either standard on the GTS, not on the GT. In other words, you had to go to the up up one or it was an option but i think it was probably standard on the gts yeah. and in, in that time in 1984 to have a digital everything 
on yeah. the dashboard you know with, with sort of like that sort of like green fluorescence you know was pretty unusual right and they it, called it, it a bar type tachometer yeah yeah uh I, it, it's pretty cool though. yeah it it's a neat car and yeah. uh it reminds me of once some of my high school buddies and i were looking at when i mean this is after we got out of school by a few years but i remember these these style of vehicles and thinking that'd be a nice ride yeah i mean i i like it a lot i really you know I've, it's, it's one of the cars that I just you know those that's something I could drive and have fun in all the time and not worried about that it's you know so valuable that it's yeah you know something's going to happen or whatever I just you know I uh, it's it's one of those that I just I, I just love the way it looks I wish Toyota made cars like that again yeah I really do and they don't it's unfortunate and the the last my last pick is something that I wish uh, Volkswagen would do more of. Uh, it's a 1988 Volkswagen Scirocco 16-valve five-speed, and it is black with a black interior. It looks flawless, frankly. I mean, yeah. f- for a car this age, it's kind of like a two-tone interior, like black and gray. Yeah, and it really looks sharp. Yeah, it's it's a, and these were amazingly fun cars to drive too. Uh, the Toyota I liked because it was rear drive and it was, you know, that makes it even more fun. You know, but this is a front drive and this is when Volkswagen made front drive GTIs and Sirocco's that were fun. <laughs> and it also made it at a time when you could have lots of glass and see everything. Because this, when you look at a car like this, you know, in 1988, it's got, you know, you can look around it. There's very few blind spots. There's lots of glass to see through. So let's see what it says here. It says, this uh, Volkswagen Sirocco is finished in black over a black and gray interior and is powered by a 1.8 liter uh, dual overhead cam uh, in line four paired with a five-speed manual transaxle. Equipment includes 14-inch alloy wheels, uh, four-wheel disc brakes, air conditioning, a hatch-mounted spoiler, a rear window wiper, body-colored fender flares, and a factory cassette stereo. The car is first registered in Illinois and spent time in Florida before it was acquired by the selling dealer in September of 2021. Service performed in the past year is said to include rebuilding the brake calipers, replacing spark plugs and alternator and clutch, and setting and setting the timing. The Sirocco shows 88,000 miles and is now offered by the selling dealer in Illinois and has an accident-free Carfax report and a clean Florida title. You wouldn't know it, I mean, that it had 88,000 miles on it looking at, like, the interior or exterior of the car. It really looks like it's in brand new shape. Yeah, it says the car received a repaint in black during prior ownership and featured, you know, so, I mean, it did get a repaint, but... You know the interior is nice. I mean, there's no yeah. there's no cracked dashboards. Uh, all the controls look good. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if it stinks like an old Volkswagen. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, the, first of all, this isn't diesel. But um, I know. But I'm just saying. I mean, Volkswagens had a tendency once they got older to have this peculiar smell that I thought was very unique to them. Mm. I mean, I owned one at one time, so you know, I and and my significant other. I uh, used to have a little baby Volkswagen, and man, did it carry that smell hmm. after a while, but yeah. Yeah, I just, I, when I when I see these cars, I usually see them with cracked dashes mm. and, you know, a lot of other flaws. Yeah. And this simply doesn't have them. 
I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It and is, I, it is a really sweet looking ride. Yeah. And it's, it's nicely, you know, it's nicely designed. Everything about it looks nice to yep. me. So, yeah. Uh, so this uh, it does have a reserve, but it ends in six days and let's see, it's still at $16,000. I don't know how much it will go for, but it's you know the, the the comments. If you read the comments, people really like it. You know the you know the the, the, the Brigger Trailer community, which has infinite knowledge about these various any you give any car, and somebody's going to start commenting with their infinite knowledge about you know those are the wrong wheels for this year or something like that. So it's it's um, it's it's one of those things that you know you learn a lot for Bring a Trailer. Yeah. And the audience is uh, there, there to tell you all these things, and so flip through the comments. It's always good. It's always a good read. All right, I think that ends it for our picks. But uh, let's start on my favorite uh, new seg- segment that we have, and we're looking at old uh, car window stickers and what things used to cost, or you know even current ones. I mean, I have this Ford GT. Uh, this is a, what is it, two thousand. Yes, 2017. So this is a very recent one. Um, it was a bargain at 485,000. I mean, you know, the exposed carbon fiber wheels were only 15,000. <laughs> oh my God! And the carbon fiber trim was 15,000, with the gas guzzler tax of 3,000. You can't go wrong with that, wow. right, John? Right. Wow. So that was a 2017 Ford GT. Uh, this is Todd Bianco with John McMullen. You're listening to All Revved Up on Radio 111, and we'll be back with some more cool window stickers. the Radio 111 showroom. Todd Bianco is talking automotive industry news and insight. All Revved Up continues. Here's Todd. Welcome back. I'm here with John McMullen. Hello, John. Hey, Todd. We're going, we, you know, we talked about our Bring a Trailer picks for this this week, but uh, we're going over these old stickers from, uh, you know, window stickers from cars that are you know, I, I love these because they have these pictures usually in the Bring a Trailer listings, and it's always good. I print them out, and it's fun to look at them. This one I picked was a 93 Mercedes 190E, which is the last year of 190 before they made it a C-Class. And this is the 2.6-liter model, which is the uh, inline six-cylinder engine. Uh, this is exactly the car that I had. I think mine was from 1988 or 89. But this is, uh, you know, they're pretty much identical. They didn't change these cars much when mercedes made a car they didn't do a lot of changes the engineers made a car and then they gave it to the people to sell didn't matter what it cost i mean it mattered a little bit but that you know they weren't run by the cost accountants and this was one of those cars that was you know sort of a bulletproof car uh this one uh let's see was in arctic white with gray uh Mercedes-Benz Tex interior, which is always, uh, you know, lasts forever. The only optional equipment on this car, well, first of all, it was $34,900, which was very expensive for a subcompact car uh, in, in 1993. 
uh, and uh, it, it had an anti-theft alarm system for five hundred and seventy dollars, which I think was funny because I think you know anti-theft is kind of standard on any car these days. Right. Yeah. I mean, but back then you had to pay five hundred and seventy dollars for it. Now the next one I have is a nineteen eighty-one Oldsmobile ninety-eight Regency Coupe. Ah, quite a car. Uh, it. Um, see lots of standard equipment a v6 but let's see what optional and this this particular one had a long list of optional stuff it starts at ten thousand four hundred and forty dollars and 31 cents <laughs> which is back in the days when they actually had things in you know dollars and cents i don't think they do that anymore on cars um the uh, six-way power divided driver's seat was 146 power door locks 93 uh, windows soft rate tinted in 87 moldings lower body 48 moldings bright edge guard 13 uh, a wiper system pulse a pulsing wiper system 41 dollars uh, the landau vinyl roof cover padded as 195 they spent big um, window defroster and electric rear uh, for the electric, you know, window electric or window defroster was 107. Um, lamp, the, the the lighting group, I guess, was a whole, you know, a combination dome light and dual lens reading was a whopping uh, $11. Uh, accent stripe was $9. Uh, let's see, firm ride and handling package 24. Uh, what, what were the other expensive ones here? Uh, cruise control was 135. Uh, and the uh, this had the upgraded this had a diesel engine if you can imagine that it was five hundred and forty two dollars so this is back when GM tried to make diesel cars this one survived and is not dead most of these were you know put in a crush you know a crusher you know three or four years after they were made because the engines failed so badly but this was a five hundred and forty two dollar option uh, tilt steering wheel eighty one dollars four wheel disc brakes one hundred and seventy four so they spent money, and then the what was the other expensive one was the custom leather trim, three hundred and thirty-eight. So total, this was you know it, the car was ten thousand four forty, and it had twenty-three hundred ninety-four dollars and seventy-two cents worth of options. Uh, so it came to thirteen thousand one eighty. So somebody really optioned out this car with lots of lots of cool things for the for the time. And let's see what else do I have here? I have a. Oh, this was the Cobra that didn't sell. I remember printing this out so I could see it. Uh, the um, 2000 Mustang Cobra R. Uh, the base price for it was $27,605. Uh, and uh, the option, the, co the Code R package, which would made it so special, which was give, is a long list of performance th uh, things. The code, for the option package, Sean, was $23,840 for a Mustang. $23,840. That was the option package to, wow. go, to go to Code R. It starts at twenty-seven, and the option package was twenty-seven, twenty-three. Wow. Hmm. And the gas guzzler tax was three thousand. I didn't even realize there was such a tax. Yeah, well, I, they did it at the time when you know these cars were you know big V8s that were sucking yeah. down. And it was you know we were having problems. So the the, the uh, it was fifty four thousand nine hundred and ninety five dollars. 
And I think they bid it to, what, 85000 So I guess it wasn't quite enough for this person. But yeah, but in 2000, they paid 54000 but I guess 54995 which is a lot of money for a Mustang, considering sure. considering they started the standard vehicles twenty seven thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, doubled the price. It, yeah, it doubled the price. Oh, people, yeah, add the gas guzzler or tax, and you've got it all. All right. Well, uh, thanks for talking. Thanks for thanks for being with me, John. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. Thanks uh, for having me. And we'll be here next week. This is Todd Bianco. You're listening to Radio One Eleven, all revved up. <laughs>